Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself? What is up, table family? How are we doing? I know that there are 20 of us in this room right now. Let's just address the elephant in the room. But I went back to Dana in the back, and I said, the 20 people that are here, we're going to study the crap out of God's word. Amen? Awesome. Um, Hey, we have been in a series called Messy Church. It's one of my favorite series we've ever done because we've just walked chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It talks about every single issue that you could possibly imagine. And I get the absolute privilege of talking about one of the most famous passages of Scripture, and that is 1 Corinthians 13, the passage of love. Um, This is read at any wedding. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, non-Christian. It doesn't matter. This is the passage the preacher is probably going to go through. Um, It is so famous that it was read at Jim and Pam's wedding in the office. Um, it, it, it's, it's one of, besides John three sixteen. it's probably, and Jesus wept, it's probably the most famous passage of scripture that we have. And what's hilarious about this is that this scripture is not even about marriage. It's not about dating. It has nothing, when it was written, when Paul wrote it, it had nothing to do with that. Um, Paul is actually writing to the church in Corinth, he is writing to a body of believers. And so every wedding that I go to, the whole time, I'm like, yes, this is applicable, but that's not the point. The point was it was written for the church body because here's what's going on. Corey set us up last week. He did a phenomenal job. Um, Here's what's going on. In chapter 12, uh, Paul starts addressing the disunity that has been happening in the body. Okay, And the reason that disunity is happening is because Paul is saying, hey, what you guys have been doing, you've been treating the gifts that God has given you like JV and varsity. Okay, Hey, they're saying in chapter 12, hey, you think that some people are more connected to the Holy Spirit because they can speak in tongues. You think that some people are more connected to the Holy Spirit because they're prophetic. And it's causing disunity, it's causing envy, which we're going to talk about later. It's causing boasting, it's causing people to not be able to love one another. And that is why Paul is writing this chapter, and he says at the end of chapter 12, because keep in mind, when the Bible was written, it wasn't chapters and verses. This is just one long letter that somebody is reading, an extremely long letter that someone is reading. And so at the end of chapter 12, he said, and let me show you a better way. And then we get into 13, and this is the better way over disunity, what we're about to read. So, it's going to be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 Corinthians 13, and we are going to read the entire thing and then break it up into three parts. So, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith 
So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that's a lot. That's a lot of scripture. But praise God for me that all of it is connected to the same thing, so we get to talk about the entire chapter, which I'm really excited about. I want to notice three things because this, this chapter is kind of broken up into three parts. I want to notice three things. The first thing I want you guys to notice that talks about in the beginning of the chapter is that love is the mark of spiritual maturity. You can write that down if you have phones, journals, whatever. Love is the mark of spiritual maturity. And here's what this is saying. Is that in the beginning he's saying, listen... You can have the gift of tongues to the point to where you're so special that you have a direct line with angels. None of us in this room have that. He's saying you can have a direct line to heaven itself. But guess what? If you're doing it without love, you are just noisy symbols. Okay? And this is why I love Paul. This is what something, people don't talk about this. Paul is an extremely sassy person. Like Paul is like, how far can I go right now? That is, that is Paul. He's, he's copying an attitude. Okay? Because here's what he's saying is, you, you, you think you're a somebody? If you don't have love, you're a nobody. It's like this. Listen. It's, it, it, listen to this. It's like this. No one cares. That's basically what he's saying. He's being passive aggressive. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. You think you're a hot shot, but guess what? You are noisy. No one cares. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Is that, no, like, listen, you are just noise. You're not being beneficial to the body. You're not being beneficial to the body. No one's listening to you. No one has a cymbal solo. It's not like cool in high school. Like it was like you were in band and somebody walked out in the middle of the field and they were like, now the cymbals. Like no one does that, right? We don't lead worship with cymbals. It just doesn't work that way. Like it's just noise. And, and he's making a dramatic point because this is dramatic. It is dramatic. Here's what he's saying is that love is the mark of spiritual maturity. He also says this, listen, um, he goes on to say in verse 2, you can have all the knowledge of scripture. 
You can know the Bible front to back. You can be in every theology class. You can go to seminary. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you don't have love behind it, it means nothing. Think about that. You could know Genesis to Revelation, and you can argue with the best of them. But if you don't have love, love for God and love for people, it doesn't mean anything. I remember um, when I got saved at 16, I, I, I felt called to ministry very soon after that, I got saved in a pretty traditional church, and um, they had never sw seen a woman that wanted to go into ministry and that didn't want to be like a church admin. I think they just didn't know what to do with me. They're like, ah, I don't know, like go to college somewhere. So I go to um, a Bible college. My major was Bible and theology, and I remember um, I was in the classes with only pretty much guys, Okay. And I remember sitting in these classes, and I would give up to give my presentation. I would get up to give my viewpoint. And I remember these guys, which we have named theology bros, right? I think you guys know who I'm talking about. They would, um, how do I put this kindly? They would try to know the Bible front to back. They seemed like they were hungry for it. But the moment when it came to not love someone else so they looked better for themselves, they took it every time. And it was, hey, I know about theology better than you do. And it was this pride. And I remember reading this scripture and studying it in school, and I thought of them because I'm like, listen, guess what? Nobody's listening to what you have to say because you don't treat people well. You're not good at loving people. For people who want to go into ministry, love is the marker. No one's going to listen if you treat people without love. And that's what Paul is saying here. He keeps going on and he's saying, um, you can be the most generous person in the world. Verse 3, you can be the most generous person in the world. Give everything away. But if you have not loved, you're nothing. He goes even more dramatic. You think it's been dramatic so far. He goes even more so and he says, listen, you can be burned for me. You can be martyred for me. But if you don't do it for love, you were burned for nothing. And he is using this dramatic language because he is saying it is dramatic because the greatest of these is love. That's all that matters is love. Here's the deal. Our culture has told us that the mark of spiritual maturity is gifts. It is outward behavior, especially spiritual maturity, right? It's how many mission trips have you been on? How often do you attend church? Are you a part of a life group? Wait, wait, wait. Do you lead a life group? Do you serve? How often, how many days are you in the church building? And so on and so on and so on. And here's what Paul is saying is that maturity is not measured by what you do, but why you do it. Maturity is not measured by what you do. It is measured by why you do it. Can I stop for a second and ask you a question that maybe nobody's asked you before? Why do you do what you do for Christ? Why do you do what you do for Christ? Why do you serve? Why are you here? Why do you go to church on Sunday? And, and that's not a shameful question. That's not me trying to put shame on you. 
But I think sometimes conviction is a good thing because I feel convicted asking it. Why? Why? Why do you do it? Is it because you feel obligated because a friend asked you to? Is it because you want to feel good about yourself? And, and what we need to do is with every decision that we're making for Christ, we need to stop. And this is why breaks are so important to stop and ask ourselves why. Not just go through the motions, not just keep doing it because it's obligated for, of us, but why do you do it? Because Paul says if it's not for love, it didn't mean anything the entire time. Number two. Notice this, in the, in the famous love passage in the middle that all of us know very well, notice that love is a verb. Love is a verb. What's so interesting about this is that when we read the famous part that's in the middle, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it's not boast. When we read that, all of the, th the things, the descriptors are adjectives, right? But actually, in the original language, they are all verbs. That's fascinating. Because here's what that's saying. Love is action, not a feeling. Love is action, not a feeling. Um, how many of you have watched Love is Blind on Netflix? Don't be shamed. I, I love Love is Blind. The finale comes out tomorrow. My friends and I have been texting about it. Some of you are in the room. Um, all this week. I can't wait. It's trash television. I'm not recommending it. I, it's, I, I don't recommend you watch Love is Blind. I'm just, I'm just being vulnerable with you and telling you that I love it. And if you haven't seen Love is Blind, um, here is the premise of Love is Blind. Okay, you've probably seen the trailer on Netflix. We all have Netflix. Um, here's what happens is they get like eight or ten random people that apply for this dating show and one of them goes in a room, they call it a pod, and then another, someone of the opposite gender goes in the other, it's the same room, but they're separated by a wall, okay? So they can't see each other, but they can hear each other, they can talk, they can do all these things. And um, they, they say, I love you, on like day three. They, they have no idea what this person looks like, they've never been on an actual date they, they don't know anything about this person just through conversation, but they say, I love you on day three, and then they propose in like a week. And you can't see the person until after you get engaged. So it's asking the question, is love blind? Okay? And what's so funny is there's something innate in us. There's something that screams at the television. Like they say, I love you, and, and it doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian. You're like, no, you don't. You do not love that person. Like, there, my mom, who is an unbeliever, called, I told her to watch the show, and she called me, and she was like, what is wrong with these people? No one should be getting married. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, there is something innate in us. Because here's what happens is they see each other, right? They go on this magical vacation, basically like a honeymoon. And then they start seeing other people that they've dated in the pods. And they see what they look like. And it's like, oh, well, she's hotter than the girl that I got. So I, I guess love isn't blind. And then they go, they go home and they see how messy their apartments are. And then they live together and they see how that person is extremely unteachable. And they have anger problems and they're abusive and all of these things. And you're like, why, why do we innately know it's not going to work? 
because we know innately that love is action. They can say words all day long, but we all know it doesn't mean anything and until they back it up with action. We all know that. So the question is not, is love blind? It's how are they going to act on the love? Blindness of love doesn't matter, right? And what's amazing about this is that Paul gives us a guidebook of what love looks like because I could sit up here or any pastor could sit up and they could be like, hey, you know, I'm going to tell you what love is, right? I'm going to tell you how to love people. But what's awesome about this is that this, the scripture, is application. I don't have to come up with all of this creative application to, to get you to get it. Paul already lays it out, and it's extremely simple. And you, you, you don't even have to be a Christian to get what this is saying. It's so simple. And I'm going to break it down for you. Here's what he says that love is. He says, love is patient and kind. Here's what this means, is that we have a long fuse for other people. We are not impatient. Love is kind. True kindness is that you want the best for someone else without anything in return. You don't ask for anything, and you don't hold a grudge over them for being kind to them. Love does not envy. Love does not desire what someone else has. That is hard in our generation with social media. And here's the deal. This is what he's saying is happening in 1 Corinthians 12. Is because he's saying, I'm right. I have to write this whole chapter of scripture to you because you, you're just envious of one another. You see someone else with gifts that you want, and you don't like it. That's why I have to write this. Love does not boast. What does that mean? Love doesn't need the spotlight. You don't need to be on stage. You don't need to be the main person. You don't need to be the one leading the group. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. You don't need to feel like somebody to treat other people like they're nobodies. You never have to feel like a somebody because that's not what matters. Love is not rude. You need to have respect for others and not bulldoze them. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Do you know what this means? And, th and this might be the one that gets to us the most. Love isn't about your preferences. Because keep in mind, he's not writing this talking about marriage. He's not talking about dating. He's talking about us in the body. He's talking about where we are right now. He's talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does that mean practically? What is he saying to the church? He's saying your preferences die when you walk into that door. Because it's not about it. You're, there are churches coming from someone who's worked in ministry for 12 years. There are churches that split over the color of the carpet. I mean, over how loud the music is, over what time services are on Sunday, over all of these things. And Paul is saying, listen, love doesn't insist on its own way. You're, and I'm not talking about first-degree theological issues. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your preference. What is theology and important, and what is your preference? Because he's saying love doesn't, it, your preferences don't matter. Love matters. It is not irritable. You don't have a short fuse with anger. It is not resentful. Love doesn't record wrongs in the church body. Love doesn't hold a grudge against people when they harm you. 
Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You don't rejoice when someone else falls. You don't look at someone in the church body and turn to someone and say, man, I knew that was a bad person. Like you don't, you don't say, oh, I knew it and go and gossip when they fall. Love rejoices with the truth. We celebrate when victory happens. Love bears all things. This doesn't mean that you're bearing the weight of everybody. That's not what this means. This means that true love endures people's sin. You don't give up when people get difficult in the church. You don't give up when people get too difficult for you. That's not love. That's your preference. And love doesn't insist on its own way. Love believes all things. You don't assume bad about people. You fill the gap with trust. Love hopes all things. We hope for God to win in other people's lives. Love endures all things. You stay in the fight in the church when things get hard. There are people that I have met, and this is not shame. This is just a reminder. There are people that I have met that church shop for five years, and they can't settle on a church. Why? Because they can't endure the hard things. There is, newsflash, let me tell you young adults, there's not a perfect church. It doesn't exist. The table is not perfect. I'm not perfect. Dana's not perfect. Isaac's not perfect. Our church leadership at First Orlando is not perfect. We're never going to be. We don't promise to be. But here's what we promise is that we're going to love the heck out of people as much as we can. And there's going to be things that you don't like here. There's going to be speakers you might not like. That's okay because love endures it. Love endures all things. And, and here's why love is action and not a feeling. Here's why. It's because no one is looking, all those things I just said, no one is like, I crushed that list. Like no one, it's like, like I, I feel bad about myself because I don't do any of these well. To be completely vulnerable, I, I was writing this and I'm like, how can I preach about something that I feel like none of these, I'm, I, I suck at all of them. I'm like, how am I going to get in front of people and tell them to do something? None of us are, are great at any of these. And that's what Paul's saying. Like, that's the point. Is it is against our nature to be this way. Like, sin has encompassed every part of us, and it is against our nature to act like this. But Paul, Paul's not saying, hey, I want you to feel shame and guilt, and I want you to say, why even try? Because I can't, I can't do any of it. No, no, no. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, all I want you to do is try a little bit more every day. That's it. You don't have to be perfect. No one's perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But what I'm asking you to do is in the way you treat people, do this a little bit more every day. Let it be something that you are making a mental checklist. When I memorized the scripture in college, I found myself for the past 12 years saying, okay, <laughs> I could retaliate right now, which I really want to do, but love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. If you need scripture to memorize, memorize this because this is the checklist on how we treat 
other people and let it be a checklist continually in your mind. Number three, notice that love is eternal. Love is eternal. I'm going to read the last part of chapter 13 really quick for you. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's how he starts this last part. He says, listen, you know all those gifts that you fought over in chapter 12, and there's disunity in the church, and, and there's, there's lots of stuff going down? Guess what? When you die, you don't take the gifts with you. When you die, there's no reason to speak in tongues. When you die, there's no reason to prophesy. Why? Because we're perfect. So why are you making everything in church about it? It, it, it's not eternal. It doesn't matter. And when I was looking at this, I, I got to the last verse. If we can, Seth, if we can put up the last verse. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's what I asked myself. We, this is a very famous verse, right? It's on like Hobby Lobby signs and all that stuff. Here's, here's what I asked myself. I don't know if I've ever asked myself this. Why is love the greatest? So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Why is it love? Because faith and hope are like pretty big deals, okay? And if you read things that Paul writes about, he's the faith guy. Like he talks about faith more than anybody else. And he's still saying those don't hold a candle to love. So I'm sitting there asking myself, why? And here's what I realized. Faith and hope with no love is just religion. Plain as day, faith and hope with no love is religion. Can we be just frank with each other for a second? Because we have like 20 people in here. Here's the deal. Um, this is why unbelievers don't like the church. This is why people don't like Christianity. Do you want to know why people don't like Christianity? Do you want to know why it's so hard? to get people here in these seats because we're not good at loving people. And I mean in the supernatural kind of way, the way that is love is patient, love is kind, it does not end. He gives us a guidebook. We don't love people well. It's the last thing on our list in our mind in church. We just don't do a good job at it. And here's what I'm saying. This is why churches suffer. This is why churches have suffered. Is because love isn't present, right? We, we have these people that are street preachers that are screaming at people and they don't get to know them as a person. And somebody walks by that has, is unchurched, has never been exposed before, and they say, I don't want to be a part of that because they don't love me. They could care less about who I am. 
We have pastors who are preaching to people and they're saying, you're going to hell and they are not willing to sit down with that person for coffee. That's not loving. That's just faith in Christ and hope in Christ, but no love for people, right? And we say, oh, I can have faith and hope, but don't ask me to meet with somebody for coffee in the body that doesn't look like me or think like me or act like me. Don't ask me to do that because that's way too far. Can I tell you, that is love. (laughs) Getting to know one another here at the table, talking to people afterwards, going to events and talking to people that aren't like you, that is love. That is love. But here's here's the hope, because there's always hope in Scripture. Here's the hope is that faith, hope, and love is life. Faith, hope, and love is life. Here's what I realized, is that love of these three, faith, hope, and love, love is the only one that's eternal. We don't need faith and hope in heaven. We're there. We don't need faith in anything. We don't need faith in him. We see him face to face. We don't need hope in anything because there's no sin, but love is still there. It's still ever-present. It's the only one in these that is eternal. And do you want to know why it's eternal? Is because First John tells us that God is love. God is not faith. He doesn't need faith. God is not hope. We hope in God, but he is not that. It is not a descriptor of him. Love is the only one that is a descriptor of who he is. He is love. That's why it's so important. If we want to, Julia basically preached a sermon praying. I told her when I came up, I was like, do you just want to talk? Because I don't think I have anything to say. Listen, love, we become love. It is something that we become. It's not about your gifts. It's not about how many mission trips you've been on. You don't become that. It's it's not about you serving. All of those things are integral to the Christian life. Faith and hope are integral. You can't be a believer without and make it in this life without faith and hope. But guess what? It's, It's nothing without love because love is the only thing that you become. Love is the only thing that is possible for you to become. Here's how I'm gonna end. I just wanna ask you for a second. Imagine if we were a church that loved like this. Just imagine it for a second. Imagine if the table, every one of you, loved like this. Imagine what would happen. I mean, this supernatural kind of love that is not normal, that unbelievers look at and they say, no one's ever loved me like that before. Imagine for a second. Let's take it a step further. Let's take it out of the church. Imagine for a second if you loved your coworkers like this. Imagine if you loved your coworkers like this. What would happen in your workplace? Imagine if you loved your roommates like this. The people that know everything about you. And all you want to do is retaliate because they get on your ever-loving nerve. And imagine if you love them like this anyway. 
Let's take it a step further really quick. Imagine if you loved your spouse one day like this. Imagine if you loved your kids like this. Every broken family that you come from, it would change for generations from now. Your tree would look completely different if you loved like this. Here's the deal. We can change the world with true love. That's just the reality. Love is the only one out of these that's going to change the world. Love is the only thing that's going to flip the world upside down for the gospel. People come to us on staff all the time and they say, hey, I don't know how to do ministry. And we say, okay, well, well, tell me what you mean. Well, I don't know. I just feel like ministry is vocational and I need to work for a church and I need stage time and I need a life group. This is it. That's what Paul's saying. Your, your gifts don't matter if you don't have love. That's where you start. Like, this is ministry. This is the only thing that's going to flip Orlando upside down. That's it. There's nothing else. It's this supernatural kind of love that people look at and they say something is different about that person something is different about that church something's different about the table something's different in the way that I see how they have friendships that endure all things something's different about that I need to be a part of it listen Paul is saying here religion doesn't work we all know let's just sit and be honest religion doesn't work Religion doesn't flip the world upside down. It's something you can be a part of. But Paul is saying here, hey, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't work. Knowing what God did for you and that kind of love, the more you get that, the more it's going to change you from the inside out. Because he is love. I'm going to close with this, as corny as it is. I want to go into battle with all of you changing Orlando with this kind of love. And I'm not in your workplace, so I can't talk to your coworkers this way. I'm not in your families of unbelievers. I'm not with you when you're in a grocery store and you're talking to a clerk. I'm not there at Starbucks with that barista. I'm not there with your roommates. I can't do it for you. Me, Dana, Isaac, all of us on staff, we can't do it for you. It has to be you. It's only you. You're the only one that can do it. And we can change Orlando, not for the table. The table's name doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. First Orlando, the name First Orlando, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is we can change Orlando with this kind of love. And let's do it together. Let's pray together. Father, man, I pray for that kind of love. Jesus, I pray that the people in this room You've put the people in this room for a reason. Hurricane, no hurricane. Rain, no rain. They're here for a reason. And I believe that they can change Orlando. They can change the world with this kind of love. God, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know this kind of love, that they would not walk out of here without feeling this kind of love from you. Because you're the only one that can give it. This love is sourced in you.
And I pray that no one would walk out of here without feeling that kind of love. Jesus, I pray for generational change with this kind of love. So many of us come from broken families and we can fix it, God. And you tell us the only way to fix it is this kind of love. Jesus, I pray for, for jobs, for the co their coworkers to be flipped upside down for the gospel. God, I pray that the table would be known as a ministry that is marked by love, that First Orlando would be known as a church that is marked by love. That in everything everyone do, does going out of here, that they would have this as a checklist in their mind of how to love people. And this would be the marker for them of every conversation, of every interaction. And it wouldn't be because they're just trying to be a better Christian. No, it would be because they've been marked by the love of you and they just want to supernaturally love other people. I believe you can do it, Father. Let it be so. Jesus' name.